Credit paying Hermosa finds the target, Swinton it was. There's a little short kick from Hodge, who gets the bounce. It's there for Banks. He flicks it out the back door and a try on debut for Tom Wright. What a start, Australia. Welcome back to episode seven of Rugby Fixation. Uh, tuning in after the All Blacks well and truly made up for a you know, terrible loss to the uh, Argentinian Pumas in their last outing. They came back with a resounding 38 to nil win. Well worth a watch if you have not yet seen it. And speaking of which, I do want to just cross over to um, regular co-host Curtis. Um, Curtis, have you seen the game yet or not quite? No, yes, have you? I haven't managed to get it. I've watched, I've watched the sort of 15-minute abbreviated highlights, but it's on the watch list still. I had to move flat on the weekend and it didn't coincide very well with the game time. And uh, since then, I've just been twiddling my thumbs, uh, moving stuff into the new joint. So very keen to watch it. But uh, I'm guessing the words that will be said later are Will Jordan based on the, the short highlights <laughs> that I've seen and the excitement in the commentary box. His uh, stat list. Yeah, his stat list is definitely the most impressive part of that. Um, it's really, I think, going to be interesting to see how that factors into anything. Um next year because obviously that's their last game of the season. We will tie into um, the All Blacks and some of their performances because they've played their six games for the season. Um, but yeah, obviously they finished exactly how they wanted to and have made up for uh, what many were calling a terrible season up until that point. And uh, there's probably still a fair few people that are saying that it's not a great season by All Black standards uh, even after that pretty emphatic win. So I did want to go through the game. I want to go through a few of the other things, but I thought uh, just at the moment it's probably apt to go through um, the biggest elephant in the room, which is uh, so clearly this is not a political podcast and it's not uh, something that, you know, I'm going to try and make a habit of doing, but it is obviously a very pressing issue that the team we're going to be versing this week is going to be without Pablo Matera, Santiago Cecino, and Guido Petty after a series of tweets that have um, resurfaced from sometime between 2011 and 2013. And I think the mood's constantly been changing uh, depending on, you know, who you're reading or what sort of platform you're on. Um, Because a lot of people that came out the blocks saying uh, this happened, you know, nine years ago, this is a very different person now. Um, It's not exactly something that reflects Pablo Matera, so why is being punished for it? Which was definitely um, somewhere that I was probably leaning a little bit, if I'm being honest, at the start. But I think the point that's counter that is... um, that's still not the message that rugby wants to send. You know, World Rugby had to act on that very quickly to be like, well, it doesn't really matter how long ago it was. We've got a real spearhead and figurehead of um, rugby union at the moment, especially after that win over the All Blacks, um, who's got very, very clear evidence of having said some pretty atrocious things, um, even if it was quite a long time ago. So while the, while the punishment is, you know, being stripped of captaincy and, you know, potentially not playing for your country again, um, it's incredibly strict. It's, it's incredibly harsh, the punishment, but it also does kind of fit what was said, you know, like that's not the message that they want displayed. And if it sends a message for rugby fans and for rugby players of what um, they do tolerate and don't tolerate, then it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think it was probably the right action to do the um, immediate stand down. Um, what I would be keen more than anything else at the moment is just to hear a statement from Matera uh, not as fussed about the other two, given they're not a 
they're not a captain. Obviously, Paddy's a very, very renowned player, made a name for himself. But I'd be keen to hear a statement from Matera sort of explaining his his actions and how he's changed and whatever else. But And I, I'm sort of relying on translations that I've seen in a in a group message. So I don't know if that is 100% the verbatim text of what he said, but it's, it's pretty appalling stuff. And I have plenty of uh, plenty of pity on them for when they have to verse South Africa again. And if he ever has to face up to see a Khaleesi. So I, I think those types of things you don't want in the game. Um, it's, is it a good thing that sort of you can go through and dig up all the old... Uh, tweets and everything of a player as soon as something happens because from from what I understand this happened because some some fans weren't happy with how Matera responded to um, the loss on the weekend and the offering of the of the Maradona jersey etc so they sort of went through digging and got a bit mad at him after everyone was in love with him a couple of weeks prior so yeah I think I think you definitely don't want those comments in the game um, and. Yeah, I, I think an immediate... I don't know what else you could really do. You can't really keep them in. So I think right action so far. I'd be keen to hear the thoughts from the players involved. Um, but yeah, geez, pity on him for when he has to go back to South Africa if he ever does get the privilege to play for his country again. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, one of the things you did nail in between all that was that a lot of the uh, revolt around this has been about the... Google Translate of what has been said, um, because as far as I'm aware, a lot of people talking about this issue know about as much Spanish as whatever's been picked up from the El Del Paso ads and Dora the Explorer. So um, it's not exactly a, a issue that we're all super on top of, but it is something that's definitely taking uh, the rugby world by storm. It's something that you know I, I'm glad they're sticking up for. I'm glad that they're you know trying to find some fix to this so that the game doesn't uh, you know, fall into disrepute. The game still keeps a, a pretty strong reputation as being a uh, all-encompassing, uh, inviting sport that you know any um, gender, any race, any culture, any uh, demographic can fit into. Yeah, definitely agree. It is the world game. Yeah. We will uh, switch and move on to the game itself and have a look at what... Well, how did things actually uh, transpire between the All Blacks and the Pumas? Because for a large chunk of that game, it was really, really quite close. You know, we're talking 51 minutes in. It was still 10-0 to the All Blacks um, off the back of a nice early try from... Um, I was trying to think, who did get that first try? I think it was Dane Coles off in the corner. Dane Coles in the corner, yeah. Which, you know, that was a really hardly worked try. They, um, they had a few other chances to get points on the board, but they had to work really hard to get that first score. And I just thought... With the way they're playing, I know they had a lot of, uh, you know, scoring opportunities and chances to get close to the line, but it actually wasn't all that smooth sailing for the All Blacks despite the score. Yeah, I think, I mean, I mean, back to sort of 12 months ago, 24 months ago, if you saw the All Blacks were up at 10-0 at halftime against Argentina, you'd be going, all right, but this is going to be a 30-point game. But based on this year, I think people have started to question that whole all Blacks aura that just comes out in the second half and just minces teams because it hasn't been seen as much as yet. And yet they've pretty much rushed up the Tri-Nation, so they're no slouch of a team. But there's not that, oh, well, you need to be up by 15 points at halftime to stand a chance and you need to be 
not just going for three pointers because you can't win against the All Blacks at three pointers. But those sort of they those sort of things have been a bit demystified this year with some performances from Australia and from Argentina. Um, but when you talk about who the best team in the Tri Nations is, All Blacks put thirty eight points on Argentina and they gave Australia the biggest margin, like the biggest winning margin against them in history this year. All in the same year that they're meant to be having their worst year ever. So it's a tricky one. I mean, at that at the time of that half, like at the halftime score, I was sort of checking in on the score as it was going, and I thought, oh, this is this game's still on. Um, and then upon watching the highlights, you sort of see the the All Blacks blowout that we've grown accustomed to in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. They get an influx of bench players. Argentina's probably starting to get a bit more tired after back-to-back games, and New Zealand had sort of two weeks to dwell on their first ever loss to Argentina. So I don't think anyone ever really saw the All Blacks losing two in a row against Argentina. And I think the betting markets had them at about a dollar and three cents or something ridiculous. So I, I think overall an expected outcome of the game. I'm surprised Argentina didn't get a point, but most of their points this year have come from penalties. So, yeah. That's the thing. Um, they came in with... You know, the, the mindset, like, oh, we've beat them already. Like, let's give another red-hot crack. But they'd made so many changes to the team, you know, like the number of people that had come in without having actually played uh, any minutes before and the number that had, you know, just been having bench roles. It was a massive shake-up to the team. And so to expect them to actually come away with, you know, any sense of familiarity with each other was always going to be a pretty tough ask, I thought. And you're right, like, it would have been nice for Argentina to have, you know, got a few points and, even if they'd had a, you know, a few penalties in the first half, that would have kept the scoreboard ticking. But I think New Zealand really wanted to atone for that first game and they just fixed the things that you know, had been the issues. And that's one of the things that I really have to credit New Zealand for. They don't lose all that often. And it's really because when they do, they look back so thoroughly at, well, what went wrong? What didn't we do very well? And how can we fix those things? So if you're versing the yeah. same position, they're not going to lose two times in a row to that opposition. Because they really quickly look up, okay, this is what we need to fix. Yeah, I think we said last time that they lost the same team consecutively was South Africa, wasn't it? In 09. Yeah. Or maybe even maybe in 2012 or something. But yeah, yeah it's been it's been a been a long time since since that happened. Um, and I think also when you get to the later stages of the competition, you sort of see it. In most competitions, it's it's the teams with more depth and the teams that have been training a bit longer. I do think Argentina have had a gallant effort this year to go as well as they have done, given the whole team having COVID, the, all of the weird circumstances about their their training and coming to Australia and sort of playing and Waratahs A side with a couple of other teams as their warm up. Um, so I think I think they've done well, and I think if at the start of the year. You said, all right, this Argentina team is going to come over and play the All Blacks who have got four games under their belt. And the Argentina team is going to put up like that, that list of names that we saw on the weekend. Then people would sort of be expecting minimum 38 nil. I would have thought. So I, don't, I think overall, uh, that I guess the net score from the two games, All Blacks-Argentina, is probably what you'd expect for two games between All Blacks and Argentina. Yeah, that's a good point. It is funny that if you do combine those two scores, you think, yeah, it's actually a pretty respectable effort. Um, but when you 
have them separately. One is the most you know triumphant win because they'd never won before and they actually won quite comfortably. Uh, and the other is an absolute shellacking. So it does average out quite nicely, I guess. But you're completely right. Um, I put the question out on Twitter uh, before the Tri-Nation started and it was actually getting feedback from a fair few, um, you know, South American rugby fans and a fair few um, Argentinian fans just saying that, you know, three to four close losses would be seen as a win. You know, like this yeah. has done um, really, really quite terribly in the World Cup by their own standards. Um, you know, they set the, uh, set the standard in 2015 when they made it to the semifinals and then, um, yeah, really just couldn't quite get it on the front foot uh, the 2019 World Cup. But for this team to come out and, you know, have all this um, expectation about, you know, versing two of the better teams in the world and not having really played any footy before, um, they did remarkably well. Because three to four close losses was seen as like a good outcome. So um, regardless of how they go against Australia this weekend, I think they can probably hang their hats on something um, quite impressive. They're going to be very happy with their season. Um, yeah, I think I think the uh, capitulation of the season is the off-field stuff that's happened through the tweets. But um, I think performance-wise on the paddock, they'd be, they'd be pretty happy. It's pretty disappointing to get blown out massively. I mean, the Wallabies have done it many times after a good win over the All Blacks. Yeah. You go back and you get smashed and sort of takes away that win that you had. But um, I think all in all, a pretty good effort. Uh, it was pretty pretty sad actually last week going on a work client Monday morning and the manager goes, oh, how's your, how's your weekend, whatever else, to one of the Irish guys in our team. And he said, oh, it was all right. We didn't draw with Argentina. So that was good. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that hurt because it's, it's one of those things where, I don't know, you probably have some thoughts on it, but the team that will ultimately win the Tri-Nations, which is pretty much the All Blacks locked in, is the team that only won two games, whereas the other two, like either Argentina or Australia, will win. Well, Australia could win three games. Um, oh, no, sorry, win two and draw one, whoever wins this weekend. So it is, it's an interesting situation. Bonus points sort of blow out. All Blacks wins were very convincing, but... I think, I think if you go to like the Six Nations scoring method where there's no bonus points for scoring X amount of tries, then you're sort of seeing Australia and Argentina ready to claim the Tri-Nations this weekend. Yeah, definitely. That's um, one of the things that I thought was interesting looking at the Tri-Nations, um, I guess, scoring system is that when it comes down to teams being tied on points, they look at the number of wins um, and then the number of bonus points and uh, for and against and all that sort of stuff. They don't actually address the number of losses, which does seem as if that's, you know, a factor that probably should be considered. And obviously they can't plan for every scenario, but um, yeah, that is a little bit disappointing, I guess. But at the same time, I was thinking about it before. I can't question it. Like New Zealand have been the best team in the competition. Um, evidence only by how well they do beat us when they're switched on. Um, so even though it'll be tight and there's a lot of people saying, well, we have lost uh, as much as so maybe we should have a chance of winning it. I just think, well, that's because we're not playing well. If we're missing those chances, like we let New Zealand beat us by 38 points, we let Argentina claw back in a nine point lead to draw with us. Um, yeah, I've got no issue. Oh, very, very frustrating, very frustrating, um, Tri Nation series for Australia if we do only marginally lose after that, that horrific Argentina game. 
it's covered off in the last pod that I wasn't able to join, unfortunately. But yeah, like just just horrible in terms of how we let that game slip away and let our almost tri-nation type slip away and sort of had to rely on Argentina to perform against the All Blacks. Um, but alas, we're, we're learning as a team, I guess. Uh, yeah. And hopefully we can finish the season on a strong end this weekend and sort of make amends for that uh, draw last week or two weeks ago now. If anything, it's um, just hearing that, it's made me really want Scotland to beat Ireland this weekend in the uh, final for the All Nations Cup. Now that I hear yeah. the Irish colleagues slagging us off. But, um, yeah. I mean, because they're not doing too crash up themselves, but, you know, we'll, we'll save that for um, another pod. We'll cover the All Nations Cup. Uh, when yeah, I had to remind them of the of the wounds that they're still looking after. Argentina knocked them out of their World Cup in in 2015. Oh, still, still never, yet to make a semi. Still yet to make a semi. Yeah, look, we go on for quite a while about um, the Irish and their exploits, but um, I just want to dive into some of the stats for the All Blacks game before we move on to previewing the Wallabies. Obviously, that's the key thing that I want to address. I, I want to finish the season on a high. <laughs> Um, but I think one of the things we can do with these stats is just look at, well, what did New Zealand do well? Because they didn't just, you know, squeak past. They convincingly beat Argentina. And looking at the numbers, it, it comes down to really a few areas that they just took charge of. And the big one for me was just uh, everything they did, they did really efficiently. They did it really by the books. They did it really um, seamlessly. They made everything look very easy. So... What I mean when I say that is uh, New Zealand won all 10 of their scrums. So 10 from 10 scrums. They won 16 from 16 lineouts. They made 53 of their 58 tackles. I'll cover the tackles soon because, you know, 58 tackle attempts is barely anything. But, you know, they made the vast majority of those. And then on top of all that, on top of having uh, a 71% possession, they only gave away seven penalties. I've never been more jealous to hear 16 from 16 lineouts and 10 from 10 scrums. Oh, that yeah. is how a game should be played. But uh, it's so rare you'll get easy. that. Yeah, it's it so rare you'll get that. And that is just a classy effort from New Zealand to not stuff that up. Because those sort of battles, those set-piece battles, they're yours to lose. It's always the entry team's uh, opportunity to give up an opportunity. So... You, yeah, I, th- I think just to, to make those really efficient and just get through those things, not have to worry about being on the back foot because of a scrum penalty or not getting that opportunity to attack off a set piece where your, your backs who have just got so much flair can just get more space. I think that's, yeah, that's a really, really good effort. And I mean, like, realistically, a line out, you play off the top, there's eight forwards that you can trap on one side of the field and you can leave Bodie, Richie, Rico, Will Jordan off the bench. You can just, you've got the star of players that can have 50 metres to work with as opposed to the usual 10 or so that they're given. So when you can turn those into, yeah, we will get the ball and we can play off the top or we can use our damaging forward pack, then that's just, it's just like that's 16 attacking options where you get the ball and your players have space or your forward pack has momentum. We wouldn't get that in the game. 26 when you throw in the scrums, like it just to give that many set piece opportunities to a back line that classy, like it really is impressive that they didn't score more tries. You know, there is a bit of credit due to uh, the pressure that Argentina were able to put on them. But it's the thing that I've always wanted for Australia is just doing the simple things well, you know, just doing the basics right. Um, it's been brought up so many times that 
you know, we look good, we earn a penalty, we kick it downfield, and then we can't win our own line-out. Or we're defending well all game, and then we just let this, you know, series of tackles slip. Um, and before you know it, you know, Sevilla's run through half the team. Uh, just things like that. So they really didn't have to do much in this game other than make their tackles and control the set piece. Not even really yeah. dominate it other than a few... Um, a few wins that Joe Moody got over Santiago Medrano. Um, he really gave them a work over in the scrums, but it, it just, everything went exactly as New Zealand had planned and exactly as they'd seen they needed to work on from that first match. So they cleaned up the set piece and came out incredibly happy with the results. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think that's a really good, really good effort. It just makes a massive difference to the whole game. It's always going to be hard to defend any team, let alone New Zealand when they're coming at you with 73% of possession. Yeah. So good effort to Argentina, given those stats. Well, the reason why I mentioned the tackle stats before and why I want to go back to them is, so they made 53 from 58 tackles, which is 91% efficiency, which is, which is good. But the thing that started out was Argentina had 126 from 200 tackles. You really can't, you know, be affording to miss that many tackles when you're, in, in that sort of position, you know, you're still getting a pretty similar percentage of tackles. So it was 170, yeah. 200, sorry. So they're still making 88% of the tackles, but they just had to make so many. You know, you can't be asked to defend that long against your bucks. Anyway, I want to yeah. that so that we can get onto the preview because really the big thing coming out from this is, you know, Australia need to finish with a, a nice, strong, um, you know, I'd say dominant win, just a win over the fans, finish 2020 on a high note. I think the draw took a little bit of the sting out from the All Blacks win. So there's a good chance we've got James O'Connor coming back and Luke Ancelo Carlotto coming back. Are there other changes that you want to see to this team? Are there experimentations you want to see because Argentina will have a few players missing? Or how do you actually see this game wrapping up? I just don't think there's any way that we can afford to rest players that we don't that we think are better than the players that we put in front of them. I think Alalatoa needs to go back to the three. Yeah. I, I like Tupo. Yes, he's a good player, but I will just oh, his his penalties are just so frustrating. And he's like you can only be a world class prop and whatever else if you don't give away three penalties a game. Yes, he's a good ball runner, but just don't give away three penalties a game and make five metres less on each run and I'd be way happier. So I think Alatoa coming in much more of a stable player, gets through more work in defence, hits more rucks um, and shores the scrum up and then having Tupo come on, still getting a 35-minute, half-an-hour stint off the bench on a more tired pack. Argentina now gained four and threw to some of their reserve players with a lot of players out. So... I think I think that's just much a, a much better weapon rather than having Tupo play a full game. And I mean, I just like the Wallabies lose games because of penalties, and he's a penalty machine. So I think it's pretty pretty simple in terms of yes, he's got he's an immense ball runner, a really good player, definitely like a, a world class prop. But just don't give away penalties. I'd rather him make two runs a game and not give away a single penalty than what he's currently doing. So. No, um, I think Alatoa. Sorry, you go. You know, I'm just saying it goes to what we were saying with New Zealand. Like, just do the basic things right. You know, their forwards made a few carries, but it wasn't really anything that outstanding. They they didn't have any of their props doing amazing. 
um, flick passes or, you know, beating 10 defenders. It was just the props are doing a really good job in the scrum. The hooker did a really good job throwing in the lineup. The locks are doing a really good job tackling and projecting the rock. You know, it was just what role do those people have and just have them do that really well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you don't see all of the World Cup winning teams having a prop that is the crash ball option and the main ball running option. You see them having a stable prop that wins the ball on their own scrum and gets through some tackles and clean outs. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that'd be the first change that I'd make. I would tell to start to put a bench. Um, CO, I didn't, I wasn't impressed by CO either. So I'd be pretty keen to see uh, either Harry Johnson Holmes or Bell get a crack, but I imagine they'll keep CO in the 23. So potentially swapping that around, Maybe a bit early for Bell to start. Um, so, yeah, maybe just some more minutes for Bell. But I think also Harry Johnson-Holmes is pretty hard done by not to get a single minute this Wallabies campaign after a great super season, um, a couple of good super seasons, especially considering he played Titan for the first time this year at super rugby level, and he was a very, very good Titan. So I think I'd be really keen to see him get a go, either tight or loose, not too fast. Um, and yeah, then working through the rest of the team, Hannigan probably did enough to stay at six. That's sort of the revolving door position, six and 20. Um, but yeah, he's, he's shipping off next year. So I think he's only gone for one year, isn't he, at the moment? Uh, for Hannigan's contract, I'm not actually entirely sure. I know it's at least uh, one full season. Um, for him, yeah, Japan, he, he's probably got the option to come back and play a bit of um, Super Rugby with the Tars if he wants, you know, join in the back end and probably have that fit into his Wallabies contract. Yeah, I think I think there is some sort of arrangement in that regard from memory. Um, but, yeah, I think I think he's done well enough to stay at six. And for the most part, the rest of the, the pack can say the same. And then O'Connor should slide into 10, uh, I think, where possible and give Hodge maybe a crack at 15 because he's probably going to play the same role if he's in 10, 12, 15, um, sort of sort of plays as like a second playmaker, even when playing 10. And just we want that kicking boot on the field at all times. Yeah. And look, if I think about what Hodges has done well, it's tackle and um, kick. He can still do those two things from fullback. If I think about what Banks has been asked to do, so, you know, the times where he's um, been getting the ball, he's been asked to take the high balls, which he's done pretty well. Uh, he's been asked to take kicks uh, for touch, which Hodge can do just as well. And he's also been asked to spread the ball when they get a kick return. So he's not running it back all that well. A lot of times he's being asked to pass um, to try and keep the ball open with you know, a more exciting wing. And he hasn't done a great job with his passing. Now, Banks isn't a very renowned passer. So I don't see any real loss in having Hodge move back there. If that's how they want to run things, I'd be very happy with it. The thing that I don't get about well, the thing that I'm not sure about yet with Banks is where they see his development potential. I sort of feel like he's the player that we've seen what he does. He's a, he's a pretty safe player, but he's not going to be a game breaker. He's not going to really slide in and be a really good second playmaker. He's not going to break his tackles. I just I just feel that if his role is to sort of kick, play play sort of like a super rugby sort of a, a bull's fullback role from back in the day where they, they kick well, they've got a bit of space, a bit of pace when they get in some space um, and can catch a high ball. Yeah. 
Well, look, I'm, I'm hoping that they do um, keep the team pretty consistently the same because I think we've had a lot of players come through. Obviously, Ronnie is trying to find his best team, so he's done a bit of mixing and matching. I think not that anything that happens this year is settled for 2021, but we do want to build a bit of consistency and we want to reward those players that have done well. So I'm hoping there's not too many changes. My big thing, I think, yeah, hanging at six, again, I'd like to see. Um, I'd probably like to see Samu given another crack just because I think he's earned it. So maybe he takes the number 20 jersey. Um, that can be in conjunction with Valentini or Wright at 19. But um, he's someone that I just don't understand how he's not been given more time. And Tate McDermott, I think, um, back to 21. I know we've had uh, Jake Gordon come in for, I think, three games. He's been off the bench. I just haven't seen anything that's impressed me that much. It's taking a long time to pass the ball and um, get it out wide. And given how poorly um, the Argentinian scrum I played last week against the All Blacks, um, Felipe Escura, he had an absolute shock. He was great defensively, but he was crabbing at the rucks as well. He, he wasn't passing well. He was taking a long time to get it out. Um, I think seeing the opposition do that just made me so much more certain that we needed to make sure we had um, either a passing nine like Joe Powell on the bench or someone that isn't necessarily a great box kicker, but can at least get to the ruck quickly and pass it out like Tate McDermott. Yeah, the thing that I don't get, um, and I'm sure there's some sort of theory behind this, but Gordon doesn't play the way he's been playing for the Waratahs. He plays a fast game. He's a very good scooter. He must have been told to go on and slow the ball down. And I don't know why that is because it doesn't ever seem to be effective when he does it. But that, like, that must be a tactic that he gets told because I've never seen him play so slowly. And yeah, I would agree. Um, Tate's performances this year in the gold jersey have been better than Gordon's. Um, but I just, I don't get the directive there because it's sort of playing, he's playing a game that he doesn't normally play. Yeah, well, whether that's something that's come because Rennie's been, you know, um, wanting that style of play, I know we didn't see it from Nick White in that first game, so I'm not sure if it's something that um, we necessarily saw coming as a tactic, or whether it's just the pressure of Test Match Footy. It could be the case that, you know, he's been really a senior figure for the Waratahs for the last season or two, um, and he's been able to see how they go in this environment and, you know, Realise, well, I'm a bit of a star here. I can do what I want. I can, you know, score the tries to help us out. In the Wallabies, it might just be like, okay, no, I'm, I'm not the star here. I've got to earn my place, so I need to make sure I'm doing my um, halfback duties correctly. And that's not normally his bread and butter. Yeah, quite possibly. And I, I think on that Tars run, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the skipper next year. In fact, I think he probably will be. Yeah, really, it's got to be between him and Alex Newsom. So I'd be keen to see... Um, you know, who ended up getting that position because they have lost a lot of people. We'll get to that when we start to preview the Waratahs and the other Super Rugby teams next year. Um, just before we go, because we're probably a little stretched for time and there's a few other things I would like to go through, but it's probably just worthwhile noting that uh, in the last week's episode, with the excitement of having someone else to host, I didn't get to all the listener questions. So I figure a lot of them have to do with that Argentinian loss. We can talk about those very quickly in the build-up to our last game of the Tri-Nations and our game against Argentina. So one of the first ones I just want to ask quickly or get your opinion on is we had uh, via Instagram, Lockie Bonus, um, absolute legend of a bloke, friend of yours who's a um, big rugby fan, maybe slightly 
edging more towards being a rugby league fan though, which isn't great, but um, yeah, I can let pass. Ask the question whether the result against Argentina, the draw we had against them, was that down to a good Argentina or a bad Australia? That was down to a lucky bonus drifting away from supporting rugby union in Australia. We can put all the blame if, on if we had this, If we had his wholehearted support these last two years, I think we would have been able to edge them easily. Uh, no, in, in seriousness, I think, I think that was all Australia playing woefully in that second half. No attacking threats. I think, yeah, I, I just don't... Like, no converted opportunity. So many line-out errors. Uh, just, yeah, a comedy of errors really throughout the game. I think people were sort of criticising Hooper for his captaincy and his choices. I think he did well. I, I don't know who would have made different decisions as a captain. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it was a really poor finish. There was no enthusiasm in the team towards the back end. And, geez, like, Patel will hopefully be reliving that moment where he grabbed the ball at the end for a very long time. Because that's stuff that, as a growing player, you can't really forget. That should be etched in your memory of exactly what not to do. So, uh, that's I think that's sort of like, that gave me memories of Falau uh, trying to offload it rather than passing it to Foley to beat Argentina and I think the 2018 or 2017 rugby championship um, when we lost them in the Gold Coast. So that sort of was just that stupidity where we, we pretty much, well, you would have been pretty confident that if we didn't score on that play, that we would have been down there and we just apply pressure and throw some forward to their line um, and probably could have put some points on. So, yeah, that, that's definitely down to a weaker Australia rather than a really highly performing Argentina. Hanging on to that, um, we had it on Twitter, Cactus back, uh, coming again with a great question, which was what positives did we see from it? And he actually offered us a bit of a hint if you want to use this, which um, you're saying that he thought the defensive line looked really solid. Uh, they were calm and they're actually trusting the inside man properly. And that's probably evidenced by Argentina not scoring any tries, but were there any other positives you took away from that game that maybe we could see again, hopefully, uh, this weekend? Uh, I think I think the positives have been probably more on the individual level uh, lately for the Wallabies. The team defensively, yep, but the team is definitely getting better, and that's good to see. Um, but I would say probably historically, I don't have the facts to back me up, but after a good defensive effort, we tend to have a horrible defensive effort i.e. every time we beat the All Blacks with a good defensive effort, we get pumped the next game with a very high-scoring margin. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think our defensive issues are resolved and we're now a really good defensive team yet. But I think positive tracks have been made so far. Uh, and I also, yeah, I think, I think players like Paisami sort of starting to find his groove is a bit promising given, I'd say he's probably more like a fourth string 12, fifth string 12 based on last year. If you had sort of, they, they wouldn't have, it wasn't even the conversation last year, but say if you had your Karevis, your Beals, your Tamuas, O'Connor, Hodge, who was a 12 option previously, like he's not in that conversation of players at the start of last year. And he's really stood up and sort of, sort of been the standout, I guess, in the back line. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I, th I think in on an individual level, we've got some players that are starting to improve and that's good and combinations are starting to come, but they're just not there yet and we can't really expect them to be there yet because of the infancy of the team. Well, that actually leads really well to uh, the other point we got on Twitter, which um, was from Dino. Um, 
he gave us a nice bit of insight about his thoughts on the game and then asked a question. So he said, uh, Parsami outplayed his hand and with improvement, I think would be a great 12. And although Hodge was good, there was just a lack of a normal 10. So there wasn't that playmaker in. Uh, he then said, you blokes may not agree, but Banks is great and will only grow as the team does. Solid as a rock out back, which, you know, we, we were shitting on him before, but he is, um, if nothing else, a very safe player. And as we said, he's, he has been good under the high ball. Uh, but the question asks, what was lacking in attack? So we've got Paisami, who's not really a 12. We've got Hodge, who's not really a 10. Um, we've got very inexperienced Banks, Wright, um, Dalgunu out on the uh, wings or in, at fullbacks. So what's really been the thing lacking in attack, would you say? We don't have a playmaker. Yeah. Even even O'Connor overplays his hand at super level massively. Um, he's, a, he's a great individual player. And that's sort of why the conversation around O'Connor has been, is he a good player or is he our playmaker who's our, like our 10 that we're going to base our game off him? Um, and the conversation has sort of been, well, he's a good player, but we don't really know where he is yet. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, I think our attacking woes sort of come from not having someone that puts their hand up and says, all right, play off me, forwards run off me. Um, I, thought, I thought Nick White was very, very good in the start to that Argentina game. He brought so much width to the game with his passing game. Um, really, really opened it up in the first sort of 10 minutes of play where we we're getting a lot of front football. And he's probably our only halfback that's got that passing game that can give our outside backs a bit more, a bit more time with the ball. So um, I think we've got attacking threats in sort of, I guess, mainly Patea uh, and Corobetti. And Wright has shown some, shown some good ball running ability, but we don't have combinations where players can bring them on. Paisami has played well, but you don't sort of get the, well, I don't get the sort of idea that he's playing to bring on other people. He's not like, I think as a playmaker, that's sort of what your your priority has to be. It's to bring on someone else rather than to make a run myself. And I think Banks, Hodge, Paisami and Patea are all of the mindset, definitely Corabetti and Rice. So our whole backline is of the mindset of I'll go forward and hopefully I'll have support and I'll try and be the defender, which most of them most of them are pretty good at. But it's not a it's not a Curtly Beal or a Foley that was going, who can I bring on here? Or a Falau that says, like Curtly, sit off my hip and you'll have an offload and I'll bring you on. Um, we've sort of been going a bit more one out in our back line, I think. That's exactly where we're missing Matt Tamua, because I agree. We we need a playmaker out there and we saw that uh, he's just so much better at calling um, offensive players, defensive players, getting everyone set up exactly where they need to be because that's where he's played most of his career. He's not filling in in a position. He's not, um, you know, being thrust in somewhere that he's not ready for. He's spent all of his time playing 10 or 12. There's been no time at fullback. There's just, you know, a 12-year professional career where he's been in one of those two channels and knows exactly where everyone should be, um, if, if you want to be scoring or if you want to be stopping people from scoring. So I think that is what we're missing. Um, it, it's really something that they need to address soon because even when he's back from his injury, he's not going to be around in the ball to be set up for that much longer. So we do need to have someone that can fit that role. And the only thing I just want to add on top of that, because you touched on it really well. And I was actually listening to uh, the Elite Rugby Banter podcast today and they touched on it with a fly half. 
and it doesn't have to be a fly half, but, but it normally is. They don't need to be the world's best attacking threat. They need to make everyone else around them look like the world's best attacking threat. And they were saying that... Yeah, exactly right. For a player, uh, Tim Sweel, who was given a very limited amount of time in the Super Rugby Unlocked, he's someone that his highlights package has next to no line breaks or tackle busts or tries, but just really crisp passes that either, you know, put someone through a hole or go over the top of a um, bunched in defence and makes everyone else look good. And that's kind of the main role of your playmaker, whether that be the nine, the 10, the 12, or even the fullback. The team needs someone that can do that. And at the moment, Australia doesn't really have someone in the back line doing that role. No. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think, I think the difficult part is we don't seem to have a phenomenal playmaker that we can hang our hat on and say, all right, we'll just develop you because... Alessio, he, he's probably is the most like attacking playmaker that we've got uh, outside of O'Connor. And he doesn't have the world's best passing game, nor does O'Connor. Tamil would be our best passer, I would have thought, in the squad. Um, but I think, I think potentially Harrison might be that, that player that's probably a bit more a bit more selfless in terms of the way he plays uh, in trying to bring on other players. And that's in a Tars team where he didn't really have many players to bring on. So having him as an option, who's the best kicker by far in Australia at the moment. Um, and who does have a good passing game and a good kicking game in the field of play. I think, I think that's an option worth developing. I'm not saying the answer or anything else like that, but I think that's an option worth having because he is a 10 that just plays the ball. Like Lolasio, he played wing for Australian schoolboys and they played 12 for under 20s and he's since got a 10 in the Brumbies. And then they've got Pasitoa at the Brumbies who's meant to be the next best thing and he plays 10. So we might we might end up seeing Lolasio moved out of 10 into 12 or Pasitoa moved to 12 and there just could be a raft of changes there still. Um, Kunzel is also there who's a decent enough 10. So... I think it'll be interesting to see going forward who we sort of decide are the tens, and I'd just love to see them get game time as a ten and not sort of moving around all the time. Yeah, and that's probably a good note to finish on is that we don't need to make the decision right now. Like we've got a long time to the World Cup, we've got a long time to the next Test match after this Pumas one. You know, we get that out of the way, and we're suddenly looking at a pretty big break until they have to play Test match rugby again. And we've got all this time during the Super Rugby AU and the eventual Trans-Tasman crossover comp where we can develop these young players, get them in, you know, their second season professional rugby and just see, okay, are they developing at the rate we thought they were going to? Or do we perhaps need to look at someone else? Or do, do we just give them time even if they're not delivering straight away? You know, we've got a fair bit of time to work on that. But anyway, I won't keep you for any longer because I know it's, um, you know, Still busy times over there, you know, getting settled to work in a new place. But uh, thanks for coming on to chat all things rugby and very keen to do it again with you next week. Uh, with the Tri-Nations wrapped up, we can talk about two completed competitions. Yeah, definitely. And a, a final question for you is what's the prediction for this weekend? Scoreline and winner. Uh, definitely Wallabies. Put your house on yep. it. Wallabies will win. Um, I think... Before 101. this news broke out, I was thinking maybe by like four, four to six points. I'm thinking yep. now, I would think maybe at least two scores. I would think maybe 14 to 18 points would be 
How much will we buy? I'm all for it. Yeah. Consider the house sold and put on sports bet. Yeah, it's going to be tough breaking news to Hannah that we're going to have to, um, you know, take off the mortgage just to put into sports bet account. But, you know, times like these call for drastic changes. She'll be happy when you get a dollar and ten on your money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I convert all that into a very neat profit. Don't you worry. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. So I am accepting all of his win. Uh, that is with the gold glasses off. That's just, I think, looking at um, Argentina are very keen to go home. They're keen to put all this behind them. They're still a very talented outfit. They've got so many great players that, you know, they're not going to roll over. We're not going to get that 101 point we need to win the comp. Um, but we should be at a point now where we're able to beat them at this level comfortably. Yeah, definitely agree. Great. All right. Good talking to you, mate. And catch you again next week. All right. Thanks for that. Have a good one. You too.